we're going to spend eternity with you and with each other and all the brothers and sisters that have gone on before and the ones that will follow. What a great day when the family of God will all be together. No more evil, no more fallenness, just joy unspeakable and full of glory. Prepare us for that day. Make us ready, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So turn with me in your Bibles, if you will, to Psalm 58 as we work our way through the songbook of Israel. Psalm 58 is, I think, closely connected to Psalm 59, which is tied to David, who wrote both of them, in his experience when Saul started failing in his walk with God and the evil spirits begin to torment him. But we'll get into that next week, Lord willing. But tonight's uh, a little bit different in the sense that I have not found a portion of scripture that's more illustrative of our present day than this one. And you'll understand that as we read through it here. These self-righteous Judges who refuse to hear the truth and practice the truth and do their jobs. I'm glad I really don't have to remind you of some of the illustrations that are available to us. I probably will slip up a little bit and do that, but not to take away from the word. So let's read here. Do you indeed speak righteousness, you silent ones? Do you judge uprightly, you sons of men? No. In heart, you work wickedness. You weigh out violence of your hands in the earth. The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they are born speaking lies. The poison is like the poison of a serpent. They are like the deaf cobra that stops its ear which will not heed the voice of the charmers, charming ever so skillfully. Break their teeth in their mouth, O God. Break out the fangs of the young lions, O Lord. Let them flow away as waters which run continually. When he bends his bow, let his arrows be as if it cut in pieces. Let them be like a snail which melts away as it goes, like a stillborn child of a woman that they may not see the sun. Before your pots can fill the burning thorns, he shall take them away as with a whirlwind, as his living and burning wrath. The righteous will rejoice when he sees the vengeance. He shall wash his feet in the blood of the wicked, so that men will say, Surely there is reward for the righteous. Surely he is the God who judges in the earth. Now, this is a mictum. If you've seen some of your, in your Bibles, you'll see the word mictum, which simply means it's a teaching. It's a teaching song. And uh, if you remember when David, uh, this is First Samuel 19. We'll get into that next week. But this is uh, believed to have been written as David is beginning his time of flight, running from Saul. And he, you know, just think about the time 
of when David was a young man and the Philistines were hassling Israel. This is, they're coming out of the judges. And the judges, I mean, every man did that which was right in their own eyes. The judges, uh, the and people in authority, the civil judges is what, what the context is here, aren't doing their job. There's wickedness there. And it didn't really change a whole lot under Saul because what was his problem? Self. He couldn't get beyond himself. And therefore, the corruption was there. The righteous became targets uh, of the wicked. And, of course, we know that getting a king in Israel wasn't their answer, but they thought it would be their answer. And the people who were in authority in the civil, they just, you know, buddied up to the king so they could get favors. I mean, you know, if you're a friend of the king... And you do whatever the king wants, then he's going to help you. He's going to, you know, there's, there's you know, hand greasing going on here, if you will. And so, um, Elam is the word that's uh, translated for silent ones. And there's, I'm not going to get into it, but there's a little concern on what, how they got to judges um, in this particular one. But the context is pretty... Uh, uh, explanatory in the sense that he is speaking of the judges. Elam could have been Elohim in the translation, which go, uh, comes through as like the sons of God, that kind of a thing. So there's a little argument there for some of you who dig a little deeper. Um, but it, again, uh, that's not the issue. The issue here is the role that the civil judges had in that culture and how important it is that they maintain the peace and order. Why is government put in place? Is it not for order? Is it not for safety of the people? I mean, that's the whole reason, not to empower themselves, as it were. But let's look at the, the, the first part of this, verses 1 and 2. These guys are just completely self-righteous. I mean, it's all about them and how they see things. Uh, their personal standards, obviously, are uh, moral. Well, it's what we would call moral relativity, whatever they think is best. Every man does that which is right in his own eyes. They're going to follow their own uh, ideas. And so they're going to make their judgments based on what's best for them. And it's exactly, it's all on, they have no fear of God. It's all on the human level. It's, it's that kind of relevant uh, issues that can cause these people to, uh, problems and why there was so much struggle in the land. And, and the result of all that is an example here found in Micah chapter 3. Turn with me there. I want to, it continued. We think we have problems. We think this is new, what's going on in the United States. And there are some think, oh, we're so close to the end now, it doesn't really matter. We're, we're doomed. You know, this kind of activity has been going on. It's cyclical. It happens. And God comes along and he exactly he cleans house he deals with it it is not forever and I want to end tonight in prayer you know um, to just realize that we can change what's going on in this country through prayer a lot of people don't believe that but I, be, I believe that that the church can can bring change through our prayer and our interceding that it, prayer does change things in Micah you think, you know, here's the, here's the end of it, uh, of the Old Testament, chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. 
Behold, I'll send my messenger, and he'll prepare the way. The Lord whom I seek will come suddenly to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant whom you delight. He's coming, says the Lord. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? It'll be like a refiner's fire and like a launderer's soap. He will set as a refiner a purifier of silver. He'll purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver that they may offer to the Lord the offering of righteousness. This is what God... I'm kind of going to eat that far and not realize that. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> I was in the chat. My... <laughs> Is it wrong? Yes. I actually, thank you for catching that. I'm like, wait, that isn't really what I... Let's try this again. It's rulers of the wicked, okay? In the wick... <laughs> and he said, here now, O heads of Jacob... And you rulers of the house of Israel, for it is not you to know justice, for you who hate good and love evil, who strip the skin of my people and the flesh from their bones, who eat the flesh of my people, flay their skin from them, break their bones, chop them in pieces like meat for the pot, like flesh in the cauldron. Skip on down to verse 9. And now hear this, you heads of the house of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel who abhor justice and pervert all equity, who built up Zion with bloodshed and Jerusalem with iniquity. Her heads judge for a bribe, her priests teach for pay, her prophets divine for money, yet they lean on the Lord and say, is, it, is not the Lord among us? No harm shall come upon us. I mean, this to me is what's going on, and it's gone on. You've got people in the church, we have woke churches, that they're going along and submitting to the government. So, so what, since when did the Church of Jesus Christ get their authority from the government? Our authority comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. He paid the price to bring back the authority, his authority on this earth, and we are his representatives. And it's a, it's a concern, but when we have personal standards that are calling the shots, and we have people that are being bribed, this is, again, we're self-righteousness. Everyone does what is right in their own eye. Why is that? Well, first of all, they're corrupt in nature, verses 3 through 5. We can go back to Psalm 58 there. We see that our base nature is corrupt. These people are not born again, and so we can we give them a hall pass in the sense that they're living after the flesh, in one sense, they're just going to do what comes naturally to them. They're estranged from birth. They're born spiritually dead. They go astray. Why do they go astray? Because they're taught by parents who have gone astray. And this generational curse continues to fall on. Our kids, think about this whole humanistic philosophy has been going on for a number of years. When we left teaching the morals, because our country at one time, believe it or not, was pretty, pretty strong. Early on, there was a strong Christian conscience, a, a fear of God and a reverence for, for things in the Bible. In fact, our government, our three, our three branches are all based upon Scripture. And these men that put the Constitution together, were God, many of them were God-fearing men. Not, maybe not all, but a number of them. And so we were strong for a long time because people f feared the Lord. As soon as humanism came in and the rampantly in, in the late 20s and 30s, uh, that's when the destruction uh, 
began. And since that point, we've gone downhill at a rapid, rapid fashion. But they go astray because they've left the foundations of truth. And what does it say here? Born, they go astray as they are born speaking lies. What's the scripture say about human nature? We're all liars. We're all deceitful. The heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. You know, you can't get anywhere in your walk with the Lord until you acknowledge that. You remain stuck in self-righteousness until you realize that I am just as capable of committing the most heinous crime that has ever happened as that guy that did it, except for the grace of God. That's how fallen we are. And we have to, we have to accept that fact. We're, we'll, go, we're, we'll go astray. We don't love God by nature. We, we, as it says here, uh, we're poisoned by it. And how does a, an estranged person act? They want nothing to do with God. You ever begin to witness to someone and you just see them flare up like, they want to shut you down. It's not a, it may, it actually, it's intimidating to the point where you're like, I don't know if I want to share my faith anymore, right? You want to just be, you know, cowered up because who likes to be rejected? But that's what it says here. They stop their ears. They don't want to listen to the truth. And so the whole idea here of what David has written is that, uh, they're deceitful, they hate righteousness, and they are deliberate in their actions against the righteous and against what's right. They don't want to be corrected and they refuse when they're faced with the truth. This is where we're at now. I don't want to encourage you to do it, but if you look at some of the exchanges that are taking place in our federal government, in Congress, and it's, it's, it's appalling. You know, we, we, we have them pushing this agenda where you know, Kathy and I were talking about this. You know, they're pushing this agenda of, uh, you know, it's just it's just unbelievable. Come to the point where we're mutilating children's, and and the government's paying for this. I mean, this is just beyond belief. And they're arguing over this whole piece of legislation. You know, when there's eighty five thousand children missing at the border, and we're arguing about this. I mean, it just They've lost their minds. It's just unbelievable. And they stop their ears. They do not want to hear it. You know, of course, that's why we love this particular verse, you know, especially verse 6, so we get into it. Stop their communications. Good way to do that, just hit them in the mouth. Bam. <laughs> Knock out their teeth, you know. And it just... Um, but that's the coming destruction. And, I, and this is why we're going to end in prayer tonight. We can pray this kind of prayer. Uh, this gives us, if you will, license to pray like David prayed. Oh, well, that's, well, God will judge you. Oh, yeah. You know what motivates God to judge? Because in one sense, letting this stuff go on is really, they're just mocking God. They're laughing at God. And he's kind of leaving, he's left, he's left it up to the church. Are you going to stand your ground? Are you going to let them continue to do this? Or are you going to take a stand against it? And we take a stand, first and foremost, by, by prayer. Literally, it says, when he says, break out their teeth, what is he saying? Break 
There's two different words that are used here for break. One is haras, and that's tear down or throw down or destroy, annihilate them. That's, it's a powerful word. We're in Psalm 58. And he wants God to ruin them. You know, break out their teeth talks about their talk, their communications. So when we pray tonight, let's pray that God destroys the ability of the enemy to communicate and to bring about their plans and their purposes. It's very important that this happens. Then the other word that's used here simply means to tear it down. So rather than completely annihilate them, the ones that are left at least tear them down and destroy their ability to do what they're doing. And the young lions, the ones that are coming up, put this thing to rest. Somehow God has got a plan here. And I, I might be wrong. It might, we might be near, the, you know, near to the second coming than any of us realize. The rapture could be right around the corner. It, you know, who knows? Uh, but that's not my focus. I mean, I'm looking for the hope of glory, just like everybody else. But what did he say until then? Occupy till I come. Do business. We got a job to do, and that should be our focus. Win souls and decide, win disciples send, right? Win people to Christ. Disciple them. Get people rooted and grounded in the word. Create within every disciple a working knowledge of the scripture. When you go out to witness and they say, well, what about this? Well, you just take them to the passage and say, right here. You, I know what it says and it says right here and I believe what God says is true. And when you speak with that kind of authority and knowledge and understanding, it, they're going to be taken back. Most Christians don't, have never read through the entire Bible. They've never taken the time or put the effort in. Well, you know, it's what I learned in Sunday school, you know. And you can't have a passive attitude towards the Word of God. We need to consume it large amounts and let it do its special work. There's nothing like the Word of God. Nothing like the Word of God. It transforms us. It washes us. It renews us. It, it is the most amazing thing what it can do to a soul and to a spirit, how it can transform a life. His, his prayer, his, his direct communication with God, if you will, at this point, is remove them. You know, let them flow away as waters which run continually. You think about a fast-running river, and if you drop something that floats, goodbye. <laughs> it's not going to be retrieved. You, know, you see animals getting swept down into these flooded regions, and they're like, woo. If they don't get help right away, they're gone. I mean, and this is the idea. Flush them out. Wash them away, Lord. Or just like water, if you put, you know, hot day, put it out, put a, you know, a little bit of water, throw a little water on the sidewalk and see how long that lasts. That's the idea. Let them evaporate and let them disappear and at least hinder them. Let, you know, let their, his arrows be as if cut in pieces. How good is an arrow if it gets chopped before it reaches its destiny? And that's what he's talking about. Hinder them. Remove their power. And then verses 9 through 11, he's, he's the judge. See, when we pray this kind of prayer, and this is kind of, I think, what I think would give us pause in our prayers to pray this kind of aggressive prayer is that, well, we're judging them. You bet we're judging them. It, not in the sense that we're passing judgment to kill them out of anger. That's, that's not our job. But between what is right and wrong. It's wrong, we're taking a stand against it, but ultimately we come to that conviction that only God can take them away. 
Is he allowing it to happen till we get to the point where we're just sick and tired of being sick and tired? Is this what it's going to take to open the eyes of Christians to become more involved and realize unless we take a stand? I don't know. It, a lot happened in the last three, three years now, right? Moving, coming into the fourth year shortly. He will unleash his wrath. He has his ways of cleaning house. How he wants to do it is up to him. But that's what he's saying here. Before your pots can feel the burning thorns. What is that talking about? Well, you know, thorns, if you ever started a fire, they burn really quick and hot. And so, you know, these guys are dead on arrival in that sense. God's going to take them out quickly. He shall take them away as a whirlwind, as his living and burning wrath. Wow. I mean, you know, how do you, how do you process that? You know, you read these words, and it just kind of goes in one ear, not the other, doesn't it? The whirlwind. Well, just, you ever been through a hurricane? You ever been through a tornado? <laughs> Hurricanes are worse than tornadoes because, in one sense, because tornadoes, you can stand there from, at a distance like, wow. Hurricane, you're, it's just continual for hours on end. And when you think it's over, it's not over. It's only half over if, you're over if you go through the eye. Okay, think about that multiplied by eternity when God gets angry. And in fact, I have a hunch in Revelation where it says there was silence in heaven for about a half hour. I think the Lord, they, the, we who are gathered around the throne are going, he's upset. <laughs> and he's, because what happens after that is the wrath of God is poured out. We have no comprehension of what it will be like when God loses his temper. And that's what David is talking about. And I think our prayers activate his righteous indignation towards the wicked. When we consider what's going on with pedophilia and what's happening to our children and how they're invading our schools and doing this wickedness is, be, I mean, it is beyond comprehension right now. And it needs to stop. And so I know I'm just like you. I feel completely powerless I know what I'd like to do, but that's not the wise thing to do, and it's not going to fix the problem. Only God can fix this now. It is so far gone. And I think we, our prayers will activate God's action. He will reward the righteous in the end. We're going to rejoice when we see it. Why would we rejoice in the, in the judgment of the wicked? Is it, you know, we talk about don't rejoice when your enemy's getting punished, Right? We don't rejoice in that. What is he saying then? He is saying we rejoice in that justice is being restored, which means we have order, chaos is being removed, and people are in a position now that they can be healed. And there could be a turning away from sin and a turning to God revival. And so this is, um, and again, God has a way of judging the wicked and yet rewarding the righteous. You know, think about how your life has been because we're under judgment right now. Our, our country's under judgment. We're getting, we've got the leadership we deserve because of 
of our idolatry. But those of us who love the Lord, has your life not been blessed the last three or four years? Think about it. I have been blessed beyond, like, wait. You know, you got to pinch yourself sometimes. Like, is this really real? It's amazing. God has a way of separating the righteous from the wicked. And in the midst of judgment, which is just an amazing thing, it doesn't make sense. It really doesn't make a lot of sense. So when we pray tonight, I expect us to be quite aggressive. And if you want to get Pentecostal, that's okay with me. Turn with me. I want to set this up by going to this, uh, Deuteronomy 32, beginning in verse 28. And it's not Malachi, and it's not Micah. It's actually Deuteronomy this time. <laughs> 32, 28. This is the Song of Moses. And, and you know, again, it sounds vaguely familiar, uh, what's going on here, what he's prophesying of, really, and actually what was going to be the future of Israel, unfortunately. For, verse 28, for they are a nation void of counsel, nor is there any understanding in them. Oh, that they were wise, that they understood this, that they would consider their latter end. How could one chase a thousand and two put ten thousand to flight unless their rock had sold them and the Lord had surrendered them for their rock is not like our rock. Even our enemies themselves being judges. For their vine is the vine of Sodom. And their fields of Gomorrah. Their grapes are grapes of gall. And clusters are bitter. Their wine is the poison of serpents. And cruel venom of cobras. Man, just... Again, you can see the connection. I wonder if David got some of that, what he wrote about from here. But think about, and this is what caught my attention as I, I went to those verses, is one person can put a 1,000 to flight, two, 10,000. Put that in the context of our prayers. So we have a, a few here tonight, right? Consider how many demons... And fallen angels, we can bind the forces of hell and darkness that hover over Washington, D.C. that have possessed many of the leaders. I mean, let's just face it. These people are worshiping the darkness. I mean, we've never seen anything quite like it in our, in our time. And I hope we never see it again. But I believe that our prayer, our prayers can change that. So short and sweet tonight in that regard because I want to concentrate on prayer. There's also something that um, I came across. Uh, I don't know much about Socrates other than you know being a philosopher and all, but uh, some of you may have heard this and, and read it. Um, he was approached one day by one of his disciples. He was under a tree, uh, probably philosophizing, <laughs> if that's a word. And his disciples said, one of your friends is speaking bad of you. And he stopped him. As you run it through the three filters, and he named the three filters. Is what you're about to say to me true? 
And are you sure that it's absolutely true? Well, I don't know. Is it good? Number two, is what you're about to tell me good? Number three, is it necessary? I'm going to tell you, he may have not been a believer. He may have been. I don't know his, his spiritual position on anything because I haven't really read anything about that. But there's truth there. There's, that's good advice. When you hear something or somebody's about to tell you something, can they verify what you're saying as being true? And if it is, it could be true. You could pass that test completely. But is it good? You know, do, do, is it something that's, you know, as Philippians talks about, whatever's just pure, lovely, and of good report? You know, think on these things, right? Is it good? And if it is good, then okay. How about the third one? Is it necessary? You know, is, is, is that information that I'm out to receive in this context for him was, if, if, is it necessary? Because what you could be sharing could be damaging you know, the relationship that I have with my friend. And I really don't want that. I'm sure none of us want to have broken relationships through faulty information, right? And so I think I bring that up. I, I was going to inject that a little bit sooner, but I think it's important as we pray for interpersonal relationships in the body of Christ. Because what I have seen in the South here since I've been here is people go from, they do go from church to church to church to church to church. And there's just a lack of accountability in relationships. And people don't really, and it's not, and look, it's, it's a, maintaining relationships and dealing with broken relationships is a very difficult thing. It's easier just to cut and run. It really is. And you, you, the only problem is you take that baggage with you wherever you go. And if you don't, if you don't, have not sought to be at peace as much as within you in your past and you're dragging it with you where you go and it's kind of hard to build other relationships if you're carrying that other. And so I want to pray for that kind of purity. God can forgive all that. God can wash that away and we can stop repeating those things because we don't need that in the church. Because if we have that in a church, what do we lose? We lose intimacy with the Lord. We lose intimacy with one another. Fellowship with God is the most important thing in our lives. Fellowship with each other is right underneath that. Remember, those are the two important things in the Old Testament. Love God, love, love your neighbor. And so as we pray, let's pray for that kind of purity uh, in our relationships. Um, I, would, I don't even want to take time to ask for a question. Just pray them. You got prayer. You got you guys come here with some burdens. I got burdens. I let's just pray them. Let's just pray them, and we'll all agree together. And um, it's an open forum. If you want to pray out loud, just go for it. The Lord gives you a scripture. You know the routine. Give you a, the Lord gives you something to read. Read it, Father. Please help us because we are living in desperate times. This portion of scripture is so overwhelmingly indicative of where we are at as a nation, as a country. And Lord, it's probably one of the most important things we can do is to pray against this, Lord. And we honestly, Father, we feel overwhelmed and we feel powerless to effect change, but that's not what your word tells us. We have the authority given to us as your sons and your daughters to put on the armor, 
to stand and withstand in the evil day to pull down these strongholds and everything that exalts itself against the truth. And so we're coming before your throne tonight, Lord. We're coming with boldness, with full confidence that you hear our prayers and that you will answer. We are praying for our church that you would forgive our sins, that you would wash us clean, that you would help us to walk in the spirit and not in the flesh, that we would be careful to keep our tongues and to guard our hearts and to not let our deceitful, wicked nature have the best over us, Lord. We pray that you preserve us from ourselves. Keep us, keep us on the straight and narrow. So help us to pray tonight, Lord. Show us how to pray effectively, fervently for our nation and for our fellowship here.